Good morning. Um, so, woo! Oh, man, how good is this? How good is our God? Welcome home to the Performing Arts Center. Oh, man. We have been looking forward to this day for so long, so many hours of work and planning and prayer, and uh, here we are. And we just want to pause and say, praise our great God. What a privilege to sing of his faithfulness, which we've experienced, and and here we are uh, today. And you know, while I'm here, I just want to say special shout-outs to all of you tireless volunteers who've given up your time and your energy uh, to make this happen. Thank you, church. Thank you again, as Matt said for your generosity and such a privilege to be a part of this movement. And a special thanks to Josh Soulsgiver, Director of Facilities. Him and his elves worked miracles. And uh, so we're giving him the next six months off uh, to recover from what he's pulled off. But what a privilege to be here uh, together. My name is Kondo. If you're a guest with us, a special welcome. So glad uh, that you chose to come and be uh, with us on this really significant Sunday as the Lord transitions us into the next season of our life as a church. We are really, really thrilled, really, really excited. There's so much buzz um, uh, around this moment and for good reason. Now this morning, uh, what I want to do is just take some time to take us back, like way back. Um, We want to talk about uh, some of the heart of this movement. As we were processing and thinking about this week and thinking about how much excitement there is surrounding us moving into this new facility, we thought, what a better time to to take a moment to just go back so that we can be reminded what is at the heart of this very movement, what started this whole thing. Some of the core principles the Lord called us to as a church. Because we do not want to get here into this beautiful facility and step into this beautiful season and forget what the whole thing was about in the first place. And so we're going to spend some time looking at um, a chapter that the Lord used to shape and influence um, Mission Point as a church. We're going to look at a chapter of scripture that frankly is coded into the very DNA of this church, even as we revisit some of the ways the Lord um, brought this whole thing about. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn to Isaiah chapter 58, Um, Isaiah chapter 58. Um, We're going to have the verses up here on the screen so you're able to follow along uh, that way. But, you know, as you turn there, let me just give you uh, a, a little sense of Um, what's going on in this passage of scripture. So Isaiah 58, the chapter opens up and uh, God is on trial. God's people have decided that their God is in breach of contract. And so they've dragged him into their courtroom and they've brought in their high profile prosecutors to level charges against God. They've put God, in essence, in, on the defendant's stand, demanding that he answer for himself. And the accusation of this breach of contract is very simple. They're saying, God, you have not shown up. You have not shown up. 
Because right here in this biblical contract, it says that you are going to show up. Right here in this contractual agreement, you've said that if we cry out to you, you will come down. You said right here that if we draw near to you, that you will come near to us. And you haven't shown up. You said you'd reveal yourself. You said you'd bless us, but nothing. You told us that you'd break the chains uh, that bound us, but nothing. You told us that you'd revive our land. You told us that you'd heal our diseases, and you have not done it. Now, we've held our end of the bargain, if we may say so ourselves, but you, God, haven't held up your end of the bargain, and you are in breach of contract. Now, again, very, very unspiritual, uh, these Israelites, because I know none of us would ever feel that level of disappointment with God, let alone enter into this posture of demanding that God answer to us why he hasn't shown up in the ways that we hoped or the ways that we expected. But the Israelites weren't as spiritual as us. In fact, I've heard rumors that there are other churches, not this church, obviously, of people who get to this place where they just feel like the things we've longed to see you do, God, you haven't done, you just haven't touched down in meaningful ways. Um, we would never say that, but other churches might say things like, week after week, God, I mean, we, we've, we've dressed pretty and uh, we've shown up to church. We've said the right things. We've sung the right song. We've raised our holy hands the right way. We've served. We've put our money in the offering. We feel like we have played our part. We've even prayed some super mega epic prayers. We've been good church folk, God. And you've not been the awesome God who shows up and changes our lives. You haven't healed our diseases. You haven't fallen like fire. You haven't awakened our county. You haven't crushed mom's, you know, prescription pill dependency. You, you haven't shown up. You haven't brought our kids back from the verge. So we hold you in breach of contract. This is bold from God's people. Again, not us, but these less spiritual people of God. So look at how God recounts the case. This is God speaking about that scenario in which his people put him, in essence, on the stand. Look at verse 2. It says, this is God speaking, For day after day they seek me out, and they seem eager to know my ways, as if there were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. It says, they ask me for just decisions, and they seem eager For God to come near them. Why have we fasted? And by the way, as you see this word fast or fasted in this context, you can substitute it with the word worship. It's just speaking about a ritualistic experience um, that the Israelites would plan and then put on. Uh, We've fasted or we've worshipped, they say. And you have not seen 
Why have we humbled ourselves and you, God, have not noticed? What's the point of of these pretty services that, that we put on and show up to? You haven't responded. Why haven't you shown up God? They put him on the stand. And God... Um, he answers them. Um, And his answer is so gracious because, well, he answers them. He doesn't strike them with lightning. No one put, I'm God. You don't put me on the stand and put me, I'll zap you all with lightning. But he doesn't do that. He graciously responds to them. And in fact, the rest of chapter 58 is God's response to his disappointed, his disenfranchised, People. It's a response to a church or his people wondering why they don't see more of him. And his answer is actually quite simple. Why don't you see more of me? Well, easy. Because you opposers and I don't like you. It's right here in the Bible. Um. You're posers and I don't like you. What God says to them is you are all pretenders and you are playing church. And I have no interest in that. Oh, don't get me wrong. I've heard you crying out to me and asking me to come near. I've seen you planning your fancy, you know, church services and and whatnot. I've seen you putting money in the offering plate. Thanks, by the way, so much for that. Really, really, really got me out of a pinch. But it's play church. You've mouthed the words. You've gone through the super mega epic motions. But I didn't like it because it's plastic. And y'all are posers. Now, you look the part and you see the words God uses. You seem eager. You, you, you look the part in your Sunday best, your arms raised high and all of that. You sound the part with your perfect pitch and your pretty songs. You play the part with your smiling faces and your God bless you, brother, you know, colloquialisms. But I want no part of it. It's pretty church, but it's plastic, and you are posers. Look at what God says. This is not a very uplifting message. Look at verse 4. Your fasting or worship ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. And then God says, you cannot worship as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of worship I've chosen? Only one day out of your seven days for people to humble themselves. Is it for going through the motions and bowing one's head like a reed? Is it for lying in sackcloth or wearing your pretty clothes on ashes? Is that what you call worship? Is that what you call a fast? Is that what you call a day acceptable to the Lord? You think that pretty praise is what I want from you? That's what you consider holding up your end of the bargain? You think arms raised high is what will provoke me to come down in power and move in your midst? 
God answers them. Maybe if we move to a cooler building, you know, maybe, maybe if it's a perfect, perfectly produced service, and maybe it's a funny sermon, that's what you think I want from you. And he says, you cannot keep worshiping the way you do and expect to see my power and my presence. And then God explains what he wants from his people. God explains the kind of worship that brings heaven down. Look at verse 6. The DNA of our church. Is this not the kind of worship I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Verse 7, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. You know what I want from you? I want that Monday worship. I want that Monday kind of worship. My problem is not how you worship me on Sunday. It's how you worship me on Monday. My problem is not how you treat me on Sunday. My problem is how you treat the hurting and the broken in your world on Monday. Your pretty praise on Sunday, it doesn't turn into messy mission on Monday, and I want nothing to do with it. I want hands raised on Sunday that become hands reached out on Monday. That's the kind of worship I want. When it's all said and done, God takes his people to task, and it's not because he doesn't like their worship in and of itself, it's because it's calling it incomplete. The kind of worship I want rises up in the sanctuary on Sunday and then it pours out into the streets on Monday. Give me that Monday worship. Kind of worship I want, the kind of worship that provokes me to come down for a visit is the kind that enters in and does something to help the hurting and the broken in the world around you. And then he gives them some very concrete examples of of what he means. And we'll we'll put some of these up on the screen. He, He says to them, I want you to fight against injustice. That's the kind of worship I want. When you see power preying on the disadvantaged, I want you to step in and speak up. That is the worship I want. Because if you raise your voice all pretty and perfect pitched on Sunday, but you will not raise your voice to speak against that boss who keeps mistreating that coworker, then that's not the kind of song I want from you. When you see the cool kids in school using their position uh, of influence to mistreat or bully or mock someone of lesser strength and lesser influence, you speak up. You report it. Whatever. But you use your voice 
to interrupt injustice wherever you find it. That's the kind of worship that I want from you. When you know that thousands of babies are being murdered and you as a church stay silent about it, but you sing your pretty songs in church, I want no part of that kind of worship. Fight against injustice. And then he says, free the oppressed. When you get any sense that someone is being abused physically, mentally, emotionally, verbally, whatever it is, enter in and break the yoke. Break every yoke. Get in the middle of it somehow. Call the cops, whatever. But what God is saying is my people cannot turn a deaf ear to oppression and the abuse of people in the world around them. When you see a racial group being mistreated or you see a gender being discriminated against or disabled person who's being hurt. When you see anyone in a situation against their will. Rise up. That is the worship that I want. You cannot sit back and do nothing to help the addict. I want you to free the oppressed. Because if you raise your hands to me on Sunday, but you don't stretch them out to help those who are stuck in painful Places, the opposers. And he says, feed the hungry. Feed the hungry. When you hear about thousands of students in our community um, who are impoverished, whose families are struggling to put food on the table, I want you to do something about that. Because if you come into my presence and you are filled with my spirit, but you do nothing to fill the refrigerators of the hungry in your city, That's not the worship I long for from my people. And he says, fend for the homeless. Fend for homelessness. When you know someone doesn't have a safe place to call home, church, figure out a way to help remedy that situation, whether it means bringing them into your own home or figuring out a way to connect with others or or putting them up somewhere, but do something about homelessness. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter, he says. Become foster, you know, or, or, or adoption viable. Whatever you have to do to create space in which those who don't have a place to call home Find one. That's the kind of worship I want. And heaven is profoundly provoked when my people care for the hurting and the broken. So you start to get the sense of the heartbeat of God for his people. If your hands raised on Sunday are not arms reached out on Monday, you are posers. I have no interest in that. The kind of worship I want ministers and loves the marginalized and the mistreated in the streets on Monday. It gets into the fight, the risk and the mess of it all. 
to make life a little better for the hurting. Uh, When God called my wife and I to be a part of uh, launching this church, this passage was so instrumental in our saying yes. Such a big part um, in inviting us to be a part of what is happening here. Um, We were on our way west, and, and some of you know the story, but we were involved in our church uh, ministry on staff for, man, close to 15 years uh, in a context that I loved. It's a place that I thought I would die serving there and loved the people. And the Lord unexplainably called us out. Um, it was crazy. We didn't know what was next. He didn't give much in, by way of explanation. He just said, I'm moving you along. And uh, so, we started to prayerfully process what's next for us. Where do we go? Uh, what do we do now? We have no earthly idea what's next. But we had a blank slate before us. And if you have a blank slate and you can kind of start fresh, we're like we're going west. No offense, but if we could go anywhere, why winter? You know, why have to drive 45 minutes to Target? That makes no sense. Um, why flatlands when God has created perfectly beautiful mountains? And so we were planning to head west. We had some family there, and um, we were starting to get excited about whatever the next um, chapter had in store. Um, God just completely interrupted um, those plans. And somebody came and shared with us, we believe the Lord wants to do something pretty significant in this area, and you guys are supposed to be a part of it. My wife and I laughed hysterically. Wait, maybe you don't understand. We just stepped out of a church environment in this area. <laughs> that would be diabolical, controversial. That wouldn't be a good idea. So clearly you've not heard from the Lord. That's nonsensical. So we're going to go west to the mountains. We're going to go west to Target. Thank you very much. Um, Lord did not let us rest in that place, uh, but we were still pretty determined. I can still remember the picture the Lord imprinted on my heart when he finally wanted to confirm his desire for us to stay. So I was picturing my family and I all packed up, and we're driving our U-Haul, and we're heading out of town. And as we got to the brink, to the edge of town, I pictured Jesus standing there. So a polite thing to do would obviously be to stop the U-Haul get out and have a chat with him. So I pictured, this is a true story, I pictured myself getting up out of the U-Haul and, and walking over to Jesus. And he asked me, where are you going? We're going west. Great job with the mountains and uh, lots of targets. So we're going to go and uh, enjoy that. Um, and the picture I had was Jesus saying to me, show me your hands. Um, and so I did. And the moment I extended my hands, the thing that became painfully clear to me was that my hands were clean. My hands were clean. That picture was so instrumental in us saying yes to be a part of what the Lord is doing here. Because what that told me was that I had spent almost two decades in ministry and there was no sign of stain or mess or blood that comes from getting involved in the messiest, the darkest, the most risky places in our county. And I pictured Jesus saying to me, and you're going to leave now. Your work is done now. See, because my experience in the church was always about planning and putting together really fancy events. So that people could show up and say, that was really, really, really good. 
But what I hadn't done was actually gone into the most dangerous and the darkest places in which people were experiencing the destructive effects of sin. I stayed pretty sterile. I stayed pretty clean. And it was in that awareness that it became clear to us. The Lord wasn't done with us quite yet. The Lord wanted us to be a part of a movement of people who would take worship into mission and go into the deepest, darkest, messiest places and get some dirt on our hands. And so Mission Point was launched. The point being the mission of Jesus Christ. And this place being a point from which we launch people into the mission of what he has for us. Uh, From the moment this church launched five plus years ago, the Lord made it very clear to us that he was not going to measure the success of this church by how many people sat in the seats in this room. He was going to measure the success of this church by how many people who sat in these seats went into the streets And were the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. It wasn't about how many people were in this building. But how many people from this building would take worship to the streets. And invite everyone everywhere to life in Christ. Would fight for injustice. Would feed the hungry. Would free the oppressed. And so you're rarely going to hear us talk about numbers. We have to obviously care for numbers. But the Lord's calling on this church. Was that we would be. The representation of Jesus Christ in our county in the darkest, messiest places in our community. I'm not going to applaud your pretty praise on Sunday if it doesn't turn into messy mission on Monday. So from the beginning, our quest was to find ways to undo the effects of sin in real and meaningful ways in our city. Listen to me. Love ops is not just a cool thing we do to be hip. Our love ops are the very heartbeat of this church. It is our way of answering God's call to figure out where are people hurting in our city? Where are people struggling in our city? Where are the effects of sin having their way in our city? And how can we as a church have these monthly initiatives that figure out ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus? This is huge to us. It's the very fabric of this church. And as you sign up and you get involved in love ops, I picture God just bobbing his head to that beautiful worship tune. That's the kind of worship he wants. If your picture of church is I attend on Sunday and then I show up the next Sunday and that's the extent of it, can I just tell you, you're a poser. These services ought to fire us up and launch us out into the worlds in which we live to be the representatives of Jesus Christ to the people out there. If I ever thought I'd get an amen admission point, I mean, that would have been the place right there. But I'll, I'll keep praying for y'all and y'all's 
responsiveness. So listen, pretty new place, and we're thankful to God for it, but it's the same messy mission. This is who we want to be. This is who God has called us to be. But you haven't even seen the best part yet. Look at what God promises. Because God says, listen, if you enter the mess of the mission, of the hurting and the broken, I hope you can handle it because the heavens will break open on your world. Look at verse 8. He says, then your light will break forth like the dawn as you go into the streets, as you take hope into the hopeless places, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with a yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger, the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise up in the darkness. Your light, uh, your night will become like the noon day. These are some powerful promises that God gives to his people as they step into the mess and brokenness in the world around them. And he says, I will send revival. I don't know about you, but that's been something our church has been praying for. And look at what he says in verse 8. He says, your light will break forth like the dawn. Verse 10, your light will rise in the darkness. I will bring light and life to this county, not because a bunch of people get together in a safe room called church, but because those people are unleashed into the streets with the love of Jesus Christ and his hope and his message, I will send revival. I'll make the light of Jesus impossible to miss. This county will know Jesus is alive because of the way his church puts love on display. I will awaken thousands to life in Jesus. Church, that is our dream. And we've been begging God to move in our county. And I love what God is saying. Oh, I will move. You do your job and watch me do mine. You play your part and you can anticipate you're going to start to see me move in powerful ways. I long to see this city and this county revived. Not a few people, but thousands waking to life in the person of Jesus Christ as his people are unleashed from this place. And he says, I will bring restoration. Verse 8, your healing will quickly appear. I will mend things no one believes were mendable. I'll do things no human mind can possibly Explain. And I think it's really interesting that as you read the stories of the early church, they were marked with a miraculous on a constant basis. And yet, isn't it interesting that in the early church, one of the things that was true about them is no one was in need. They shared, they met the practical needs of the people in the world around them. Worship gatherings turned into mission on Monday and God showed up in powerful ways. And I don't know if you knew this, but miracles are for the mission. I, it's, I want to sit comfortably in my house and in my church and say, God, do something miraculous. 
It's entertain us. So show us how good you are. Miracles for the mission. As these people lived the mission, they saw so much of the miraculous. So excuse me while I sit here and believe God still does the miraculous in his church. And I anticipate seeing him continue to do just that. And I love this phrase that your healing will quickly appear. Like, like healing was never far off. It was just around the corner waiting for an excuse to show up. And he says, I will bless your reputation. Uh, Verse 8, your righteousness, he says, will go before you. This county won't just know about your God. They will know about his church. Your reputation will spread wild and wide. We've heard about you and the way you take care of the hurting. We've heard about the way all your families are constantly taking kids in. If it's not foster care, it's adoption. If it's not adoption, it's both. You know, we've heard about you and the way that you figure out ways to feed the hungry in your community. We've heard about you. We don't even believe anything y'all talk about when it comes to Jesus, but we know for a fact that our county is better because you are all in it. I will cause your righteousness to go before you. I'll bless your reputation. I think it's interesting. The early church gained favor in their communities because of how they lived outside of their services. And he says, I will be your refuge. I will be your protector. Verse 8, the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I will be your protection. I will be your security detail. My glory will be your bodyguard. What? Here's something I know for a fact. The idea of God's glory guarding and protecting us, him being our refuge, is kind of a meaningless thing if you play it safe. If if the church is sterile um, and risk-free, this means nothing. Uh, this I'm finding is meaning more and more and more to me. It's meaning more and more and more to our church because here's the reality. If you dare to get in the middle of injustice, if you dare to call abortion murder, if you dare to take kids into your home and you don't know too much about them, you enter a risk zone. You invite some threat into your world. And God says, I got this. My glory will be your guard. And your protection. Such a powerful reassurance, church, that he will continue to be with us. And he says, I'll quicken my response. I'll answer prayers with fiber optic speed. I'll put Jimmy John's to shame. Express responses. I love that. You say, hey, dear, here I am. Here I am. Yeah, God, yep, here am I. I don't know exactly what this means, but I want to find out. And I'd invite you to the same. And then he just says, listen, you will thrive in every way. Look at verse 11 and 12. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy you, church, in all your needs, in a sun-scorched land, and he will strengthen your frame, and you will be uh, like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up age-old foundations. I, I wish I had time to talk about the history in Kosciuszko County and Winona Lake and some of the things God did in days of old. I want to see some of that rebuilt. But you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I will cause you to thrive in whatever you touch to 
succeed. So listen, new home, beautiful new home, same church, want to be the church whose worship turns to mission and sees God show up and transform this county. Are you in? When my wife and I said yes to um, being a part of this, I remember sharing the gospel for the first time in almost a decade. I can still remember getting involved in messy situations that I had previously avoided because I was in a, a bunch of safe meetings having conversations about these events. And I can say with great joy that if I look close enough, I can see the beginning of stain marks and mess on my hands. And I can tell you this, that as we started to take worship to the streets and enter into these risky, messy places with oppression and injustice, my wife and I started to hear from God in ways we just hadn't. The number of dreams the Lord has spoken to our family through in the last year, let alone the last number of years. And as many of you know, one of those dreams is what led us to adopt now three girls from Haiti. Because the Lord started to show up in unusual and explainable ways. He started to speak to this church through dreams. Um, even something as simple as the, the prayer op we did last month. That was something the Lord gave months ago and then this last month it all made sense that he wants us to cry out to him so i'm still anticipating what kind of answers are going to come from the season of prayer that he's invited us into and then the lord started to provide in just unusual ways and if you hang around mission point long enough you're going to start to hear stories about people who are doing crazy things and crazy ways in which the lord is starting to touch down just like he said and you're starting to hear less and less in this church about god where are you and more and more stories of them then god showed up here and then he did this and then he saved this person and then this person opened up their home and now these it's just been a beautiful journey to see, and I cannot wait to see what the Lord will continue to do as we continue to take worship to the streets in mission. Because I know this, some of you cannot hold a tune to save your lives on Sunday. Bless your heart. <laughs> but you sing the most beautiful songs of the love of Jesus on Monday in the world around you. You put on soccer camps for people who can't afford them, and you feed fair workers, and, and your f people raise eyebrows when your family goes to Walmart because none of you look the same. What, what do you people have to do with each other? You've made bigger tables for foster kids, and you're launching ministries to fight sex trafficking. You're on the road speaking up for the unborn. You're sending kids to school in Zambia. The Lord is pleased, and we don't want to forget what he's called us to. We want to lean into more and more of what it looks like to be a church unleashed a church that leaves the building and puts his love on display and and here's the ultimate reason why because this whole thing is and has always been about the person of jesus because weren't we the homeless 
Weren't we the oppressed? Weren't we the ones sin was abusing and taking down to the grave? Weren't we the hungry who kept going to all kinds of places just longing for satisfaction? And wasn't it Jesus who stepped out of his comfort into our mess, into our world, and aren't his hands stained with the mess of our sin and his blood that cleansed us? Didn't he become the bread of life that satisfied us? Didn't he open up the doors to heaven and take us in? Isn't his family one that the heavenly realms can't explain because none of y'all look the same? And he's done it for us. And now we go into the streets to represent Jesus Christ and see many invited to life in him and see heaven come down in powerful ways. And so, Lord, we praise you for inviting us into your mission. Thank you for entering our mess. And thank you for promising to accompany us as you launch us into the messiest places. Help us to be a church that fights injustice. Help us to feed the hungry. Lord, help us to take care of the homeless. Help us to do everything we can in the world around us to undo the effects of sin and put Jesus on great display. We look forward to the ways you're going to move. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, welcome home. God bless. Let's live the mission as we are dismissed. We'll see you all next week.